Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad that you're here. My name is Ben, and this is Andrew. In just a minute, you're going to discover why he's here. But if you're our guest, a special, special welcome to you. Pastor Will told you a little bit earlier about our Connect card. It looks like this. If you're our guest, if you'll give us your name and your home address, we'll send you this week in your mail some coupons for free Chick-fil-A food. We enjoy Chick-fil-A around here, and it's just our way of saying to you, thanks for being with us. If you're a regular attender, make sure your name and email goes on there in the next few minutes, and we'll use this card at the end of the message to take some next steps. Andrew, welcome. Thank you. Hey, tell everybody, before we even tell why you're up here, tell everybody a little bit of how you ended up at Four Corners Church and why you guys made this your church home. Sure. So um, I was actually invited, I think it was now about five years ago, um, by a friend, and um, really, uh, since the first service, we've been hooked, and we've never stopped. Andrew, so. do I recall, this wasn't on the script, but do I recall uh, you saying that your first service or second service was kind of interesting here? Was there a story around? Yeah, so the, the very first service I came to, um, what drew me, um, unfortunately, I don't remember the message. Oh, uh, that's good. Sorry, sorry. That's real good. But uh, to Will's credit, uh, <laughs> they did a performance song, and it was a poison song. Yeah. I'm like, all right, I, I got to come here. Yeah, so... And so you had um, an incredible first few experiences. Your wife, your kids began to come to our church as well, and you began to serve. What team were you serving on? So I was actually serving in this team. Um, the room, in this room? In this room, yeah. So um, I did a lot of different things in here, um, and it helped me grow to men- tremendously uh, uh, in, my, in my walk with, uh, with Christ and um, yeah, it was just an amazing journey. So Pastor Will leads that team, and you served in various capacities. And at one point, you kind of became one of the directors for a Sunday morning, which just kind of makes sure that all this stuff's happening, right? But yep. you bailed out of that team. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw it going down, so I just figured step out. <laughs> well, since you left, man. I'm just telling no, <laughs> you. Know. I'm totally kidding. Uh, tell everybody what you're doing these days. Sure. So um, I really felt a, a calling on my life to um, lead uh, what I'm dubbing financial independence. So it's, it's a way to help people um, get out financially from, from debt, from you know, all what we call what we think is normal. You know, car payment you're always gonna have, mortgage you're always gonna have, credit cards. And I wanna get people freed from that. So um, this past September I stepped up and, and led the first, uh, my first FPU session. Yeah, so Financial Peace University, which is a program that Dave Ramsey, you may have heard him on the radio, read his books, put together. Years ago, we started doing Financial Peace, and we've offered it with a certain amount of consistency, and people's lives have literally been changed. That yes. happened to you, right? Oh, absolutely. Tell everybody just very quickly the brief testimony of what God did in that time that you were going through FPU and the months after. Yep, so three years ago, we took it, uh, my wife and I did, and um, it radically changed not only the way we handled our money, but our relationship in general. Um, money was kind of the underlying issue to most of our arguments, and we didn't realize it. Huh. I bet you're the only one. I bet. You know, it's just, <laughs> I'm sure I am, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so you guys went through it. Do you remember the numbers? How much uh, debt did you guys pay off, and in about what amount of time? Oh, uh, I think we paid off, in the nine weeks, Average, they say, is about three grand. I think we paid off about four thousand in that first nine weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was yeah, that's not bad. That's pretty impressive. That was in his nine wife, weeks. I think. Right. No, I'm not sure that was. <laughs> but you guys have come a long way. Yeah, yeah. From um, yeah, a very long way. You have a goal that, yep. to be debt free by when? By the mid this year. So we're talking tens of thousands. Yes. Yeah. Talking. Uh, when we started this journey a little over two years ago, it was uh, we were sitting at eighty thousand dollars of debt, not counting our house. So, ton of stuff, and I will take most of the blame for that because it was a lot of my stuff that I wanted, you know. Yeah. So, um, but today we are sitting at uh, about thirty thousand dollars left to pay off. Woo! So, that's incredible. And are you arguing less? Oh, absolutely. That's incredible. So you're leading FBU now. Yes. You had your first cycle. Yep. It went really, really well, but it's coming yeah. up again. It is. So if somebody's here saying, look, I don't know if I can believe that, but I might give it a shot, what would be their next step? Um, see me. Um, we can sign you up for the class. But more importantly, like if you're unsure if you want to, um, plain and simple, if you've never managed your money, you need to do it. Uh, it is a freeing experience from not only um, money, but just 
life in general. And is there an email somebody can reach out? Yeah. So, um, Will at Fort, no, um, <laughs> Andrew Ellers at fourcornerschurch.com. Andrew Ehlers. If they do Andrew, will it get to you? I believe so. Let's do yes. Andrew at fourcornerschurch.com. You can ask questions. If you do that, we'll send you the link to sign up and all that sort of thing. Incredible testimonies, right? Yes. Already coming out of your first round yeah. of leadership. Thanks for stepping up. We're, we are better as a church when people like you step up to lead. Thank you for the time and effort that while you're busy and paying off your debt, you're still investing in others. That's the way the Lord wants it to happen. You get the benefit and you help others. That's the balanced way of the Christian life. Tell everybody about the video they're going to see. So um, we had a couple people that uh, were gracious enough to uh, volunteer some of their testimony. And um, this, unfortunately, is only a snippet of what they had to say. But, uh, man, uh, it, is, it is some good stuff. Andrew, I'm grateful for your leadership. I'm thrilled by what the Lord's doing in your life, and I'm grateful for how what your experience and testimony is going to inspire and your leadership is going to help other people go. Guys, pay attention to the screen. Thank you. Yeah, yeah you can clap for Andrew. That's all right. I think I have a greater respect for the power of money. Um, I used to dread um, opening the mail. I used to dread looking at my bank account and now I'm able to to sit down I know exactly what I owe I know exactly who I owe and it's just freeing it's not a burden anymore it's not um, it's not something that I dread to do I'm excited I'm excited at the end of the month to see how far I've come during that month how much I've paid off how much I've saved and it's just, um, it's so different um, than, than, than the way it used to be. And, and I'm so glad that I was able to take this class. And we, we didn't. <laughs> we both had school loans and we both worked full time. So and paycheck to paycheck, I guess they said, until FTU. And you didn't know what a budget was until we took the course. We're on different pages. We didn't really realize how much our pages looked so different. We tend to be spenders and savers in a different way. And I think it just made us go on the same path and make sure we were working together because we almost always felt like we were working against each other. I, I would want to spend money on the stuff I wanted and she'd spend money on the stuff she wanted. And then you're like, what's the problem? I'm spending our money, but then you get all territorial over your money and it's something that shouldn't be fought about because you're married. You need it. First feedback I always got was, why pay someone to give you money tips and then take your money? Seems like the dumbest thing ever. It's not about just money, it's about like relationships with money, like how to treat your friends with money, how to treat your spouse your and your church. I'm pretty open about, um, about my past because as a single, you know, I've been a single parent for 15 years and, and I've struggled so much and for so long. And I would be glad to sit down with anybody and just talk to them so that they don't have to go through what I do. That they can find a peace in their life. Um, single, even, even married couples. Parenting is hard enough. Um, having a family is hard enough. And to be able to have control in this one area is one less thing you have to deal with. Um, so to be able to sit down and speak with someone and say, you know, I know you're unsure of it. This, this is something that, that I think anybody and everybody could use. So we're excited for you to get financially free. Uh, Melissa, you and your husband, Mark, yeah. uh, did FPU years ago. 15 years ago. Changed and our marriage. No, yeah. no kidding. Like changed our marriage. You, you still 
to some degree live by the envelopes. We do envelopes. In fact, in my purse right now, don't go in my office and rob me. I have envelopes um, with a haircut envelope and a grocery envelope and a gas envelope, and we do it every two weeks. Been doing it 15 years. And it's given you guys some stability. Total freedom with money. Which is incredible. Now, you're holding in your hands something that's new. Yes. When people came in that was on the seats. Tell everybody a little bit about what that is. This is a brand new communication tool that we're going to use to be able to um, explain and give you details on all of the amazing things going on here at Four Corners. So instead of just the small group catalog that we've typically had for small groups, they are in here. Um, we also have Grow. We have events. We have outreach. Um, yesterday, they had an, an outreach, the first one at Hamilton Mission at New Life Mission. It was spectacular. I think they made 130 bag lunches, cleaned, did some projects. The next dates are in here. Um, we've, got some, uh, we've got some great couples groups and women's groups and men's groups in here to check out. Um, some have childcare, some don't. Um, so make sure you check that out. Um, we also have events, um, volunteer teams if you want to plug in on a team. So pretty much anything you want to know about Life at 4C is in this book. And if it's not, you can email Melissa. Yes, there's all kinds of communication four. tools in here. There are. And so um, today is the first day a person can sign up to be in a group. Yes. And you would do that at Next Step C. If you're a guest on that Connect card, you'll notice A, B, C, D. Next Step C, you just take the number of the group. It's right mm -hmm. there, titled group on the top of the page. Transfer it over to Next Step C. And at the end of our service, you turn that card in and you're in. But to make sure you're in, we'll send you a confirmation email and details and if for some reason it wasn't the right one for you you'll know that long before but it really is a one-step sign up and that's exactly how you do it i believe they can also go online that'll be mm -hmm. ready middle of this week oh it's ready it's ready it's today up. it's so up. they can go online you can take this home go online and sign up and all that good stuff as well yes and then on page 10 of this book we have a highlight of you me and us pastor ben starting the sermon series today i think we're talking about the crazy cycle um we want to invest in your relationships and we don't want to just give you a sermon series this time we're going to make it a holistic approach. So we've got the sermon series for five weeks. Um, we have a date night coming up on uh, February the 2nd, where you simply drive up to the front doors. My husband and I will be out there. We're going to hand you a date night packet with instructions. You can go on the date right then, or you can save it for a night you have a sitter um, and, uh, and have a great time. But then following that, the next morning from 9 until 2 o'clock on Saturday, February 3rd, we have a marriage conference. Um, it's called Clear. And and uh, Joseph, our, uh, our new guy, and I have been working hard on this. We are so excited. If you've been to one of our marriage conferences before, um, we loved them. But this is something completely different. I'll be teaching. Joseph will be doing some teaching. And even more excitingly to me, we've got um, interactive moments for you and your spouse to actually go sit together, work through a couple of things on paper, come back, and learn from that. So this is going to be a good time. I think there's a panel discussion there as well. There is a panel discussion, so multi-generational. Yeah. If somebody's hearing, like, uh, we're going to go through a whole day of therapy. No, it's going to be fun. All right, so lots of fun. Lots of fun. Live teaching. Yes. Real life people here with stories of change and transformation. Right. And some interactive stuff to do as well, so you're not just watching a screen or listening to a talking head. Right. And if somebody says, I've never really done something like that before, or I did it and it wasn't great, why should they go ahead and do this one? Well, I think that this year you're going to get some great teaching. I hope that you're going to be able to grab onto. But I think the interactive part, um, we've got some strategy cards after each session. We've got one session where the men will be in one place, the women will be in another. We'll be talking about the same thing, but in a little bit of a different way. You'll come back together and be able to compare notes and talk through it. I think it's going to be a great weekend for you to grow in your marriage. Um, if you're dating, you're welcome to come as well. Yeah, so if you're married, if you're single and looking forward to marriage, if you're actually in a dating relationship, relationship. It's a great way to come and uh, kind of grow in the relational side of, of who we are. Right. It is $50 a couple, which is cheaper than dinner out. So please think of it as an investment. Yeah. Um, it covers breakfast, lunch, and all the materials for the day. And they'll have a chance today to sign up to get that link to sign up. Correct? Yes. Next step D. Next step D. So if you want to go ahead and check that on your connect card, you can put that in the offering bucket and we'll send you the link to sign up and how to pay and all that good stuff. And of course, if you can't afford it, you literally can see Melissa who'll yes. be out in the lobby after service and uh, or stop by the guest services desk. Somebody can help you there. And we're glad we have generous people here. Money should not be the obstacle to your engagement, but we do believe investing in your marriage mm -hmm. might be the best money you'll spend. And so we'll help you kind of walk that rail and uh, get you signed up for that. Hey, thanks right. for your leadership. I'm so excited about this. It's going to be a really, good year. February 3rd is going to be a great day for marriages and it's another great day. 
because it's it, your birthday. It's my birthday. So, so we're going to have birthday cake. Yeah, so write that down. Everybody write that down. Everybody come no. third hey, so we can celebrate Ben's hey, birthday. thanks for your leadership. Let's give it up for Melissa <laughs> and her team. You guys are killing it. Well, if you want to follow along today, we are beginning You, Me, and Us right here in your message notes. Looks like this on the front. There's the stuff about Grow 2, the interactive experience in our four-session grow program that we have, and a little bit about you, me, and us right there. This is yours to take home. The life at 4C is yours to take home. The only thing we really want back from you today is your Connect card, all right? Hey, I want to talk with you um, today uh, as we kick off you, me, and us about a dynamic that I've had to learn uh, in, our, in, in my marriage. Jill and I um, are uh, approaching 30 years of marriage. We're not quite there, but we're getting there. And um, it's been an incredible ride. But through that time, there were some hardcore learnings for us. And what I'm going to share with you today is something that is so important. In fact, if you were to ask me as a pastor, what is the one understanding, the one thing a person can grow in that is likely maybe more than any other dynamic to lead them towards a successful relationship in marriage or some of the same principles apply to friendships, certainly in dating relationships. What's the one principle that's likely to lead to success? This is it. In fact, it's so important in my life, I bring this teaching in one form or another to this stage regularly, uh, which leads me to the comment I want to give you. Like if this is old stuff for you because it's familiar, ask yourself this question. Even though it's familiar to you, has it changed you? And there's the problem with information, right? It's not enough to know it in the head. Somehow, we have to get information out of our head and into our hearts and out through our mouths and hands so that the information, that good stuff that we know, actually produces the good results we hope for it to produce. And what I have found in my life is to say you know something but not to be changed by it really is saying I don't really know it. So to know and not do is to not to know. So if this is old material to you as we talk about the crazy cycle, how are you doing in your relationship? Might there be a reason to go back to this well, dip the bucket in one more time and take a fresh drink? All right? But just to get a survey of who we have in the room today. Just real quick, I don't, I don't ask for a lot of disclosure from you on a Sunday morning, but just real quick, I want to give you kind of a couple categories and just quickly put, put up your hand. How many people in the room are currently married? Would you raise up your hand? All right, good, you can put those down. How many of you guys are in a dating relationship? Yeah, a few. How many of you guys are single and ready to mingle? Anybody? Yeah, all right, that's good. Uh, we're going to get done pretty quick here, so you can go out and get started on that. All right, I'll just single folks. There are principles here for everybody. Because we're going to be looking to the Bible, God's Word. But I can't talk about this stuff without also filtering it through my life. And as I was prepping over the last few weeks to launch this message series, the first sermon, ser uh, sermon in a brand new series is always the hardest because we're switching gears and we're retooling and, and all this thing. But as I was prepping for it, I passed it through the filter of God's Word, through the filter of some experience and training I've had, but through the filter of my life as well. I mean, there's no way to talk about relationships at all without being reflective to some degree about your own relationships. And I brought with me a couple of things to kind of illustrate some of that. But I want to take you to a basic reality that's true about life. I brought two pairs of sunglasses here. I've got a blue pair and a pink pair. And we're going to talk in generalities today. And some of the generalities won't apply to you personally. But these are things that I've observed read about and statistically have some information to back up as well about the differences between the typical man and the typical woman. And one of the ways to kind of understand that is through the metaphor of these glasses. And so the idea here is, is that men kind of wear blue glasses, right? These are nice baby blue glasses. And uh, this, you know, with these on, I can actually see you. Sometimes people will say to me on a Sunday, you are looking right at me. And I may have been, but I can't see your face when I do this. Those lights are very bright. But when I do this, I can, see, I can see exactly what somebody, you need to get off your phone. Seriously, right over there. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. But guys wear blue glasses. And when they see the world, they tend to filter it through the lens of the guy thing. And when they talk about the world, they tend to talk through a blue megaphone. And when they hear from their spouse, the person they're dating in the world, they tend to listen through blue hearing aids. It's their perspective. It's the guy thing. Not every guy fits it. But... 
even in the Bible, there are some indicators of things that typically are important to guys. Right? And then women, of course, they wear pink glasses. Right? They wear, now, this is hard for me because uh, I'm a little insecure about my, my masculinity, but here we go. Women wear pink glasses and they view the world through the pink lenses and they hear through pink lenses and they tend to speak and engage and think and feel through pink lenses. And the challenge is, is that neither's right nor wrong. They're just different. And there's the problem in relationships. It's the differences. I was chatting with somebody just yesterday that the very things that were different about my wife that first tr attracted me to her, some of the nuances she had that I used to think was so cute, so spunky, and so awesome. Now, in my relationship with her 30 years later, those very things that used to be so cute, well, they just grate on my last nerves. <laughs> the differences that were attractive over time can become a challenge. And I've had to learn over and over again that sometimes the differences are neither right nor wrong. They're just different. And when the Bible talks about men and women, and I'm going to take you to that place today that we go to often. We as a church go to this well a lot. But we're going to go there one more time, try to drink fresh water, get fresh insight, ask fresh questions. One of the biggest realities is, is just understand that people are different. And you know that. But it's very difficult when I'm wearing my blue glasses to think through and feel through and consider through the world of the pink glasses. It's very difficult. And if you're wearing pink glasses, sometimes it's very hard to try to think through what does somebody who's wearing blue glasses experience the world as. So the pink glasses and the blue glasses are not just a metaphor, they're a reality. When we communicate, when we talk, when we engage, we start with our own experiences, our own desires, the, the very goals and ambitions that we have, our dreams, our hopes, our hurts. And even when we communicate, a lot of that's not even spoken. It's just inside of us. In fact, sociologists tell us that for the first year of a person's life, almost all of their interactions with the world is nonverbal. In fact, they don't even understand the words. What they pay attention to is tone and posture and place. Those things really communicate, and ironically, they never go away. Even when you pick up the ability to speak with words and hear words and deduce meaning from conversation, so much of how we interact with each other is nonverbal. It's just in us. And we begin to interpret what somebody else means by the words they use, yes, but sometimes by the tone or by the posture, by the volume, by the context. And some of that has nothing to do with the other person, but by the time it leaves their mouth and their body and their entire experience of communicating and gets to us, it gets into our ears, and then it gets filtered again through your experiences and your baggage and your hopes and your dreams and your aspirations. Years ago, there was a pastor who also has incredible scientific credentials and his wife and their names are, are Egerichs. Um, that's their last name. They got together and they wrote a book that um, I use to help every time I do some premarital counseling. I don't do a lot of that anymore. But we pass out this book and we help people to understand the blue glasses and the pink glasses. The typical way a man thinks and the typical way a woman thinks. Because at the end of the day, I want their relationship to thrive. I, I want them to have all the vital nutrients they need to experience life and to be full. Because when you misunderstand this principle, when you're ignorant of this principle, or when you know it and won't apply it, which is the case for a lot of us, you know it, but you won't apply it, what happens is, is you rob the relationship of vital nutrients it starves. It's a whole lot like this uh, air hose here. You, you, you guys know what this is. You go to your car and you can fill it up, right? And you can put some air in there. But in relationships, what happens sometimes is you step on one another's air hoses. That happens. 
And here there is a strong desire for a relationship. Nobody got married. Nobody started dating so that they could go through trauma and disappointment. That's not why you do that. Nobody has hopes for a relationship that they dream will end in bitterness and frustration. Nobody does that. But along the way in the relationship, you step on each other's air hoses. Right? And you rob each other of nutrients and vital engagement. The principle today, I think, will help you understand how to not step on the air hose, not to ignore the differences, but but to value the differences. Very immature in almost every area of life to look at people who are different and say, because you're different, I'm nervous about you. I'm a afraid of you. I don't want you around me. It's much more developed, more mature to appreciate the difference and even sometimes enjoy them. And when you first started dating, for those of you that are married, that's exactly what you did. You enjoyed those differences. And when you look at the Bible, the Bible acknowledges some of these differences. One day, a man came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, tell us what to do about divorce. You know, when relationships break down, kind of marriage is like the, in in many ways, marriage is like the example of what it means to be in close relationship. And then divorce would be what it looks like to have that close relationship break down. Jesus, what should we do with divorce? And Jesus' first words were, you read in the Bible how that originally God created them male and female. And then he goes on to talk about divorce. But it's interesting when he starts to talk about it, he starts by acknowledging the differences. There's male and there's female here. And now, it might be reading a little bit much in it, but it's not a total read-in to say that that right there might have something to do with the divorce ratio. (laughs) There are men and there are women, and they're different. They have different backgrounds that are unique to them, but implicit sometimes in a man and in a woman are different ways of looking at life. It's always dangerous to talk about the generalities because there's always an exception or two. But for a few minutes, can we not put ourselves in the exception category and just think through whether or not some of these generalities understood well, understood, but then practiced in the relationship. So put in action, could we think through how it might make a difference? Jill and I have seen this principle of the pink glasses and the blue glasses and stepping on one another's air hoses. Uh, We've seen them manifest themselves in our lives for almost 30 years now. And we've seen that if we weren't paying attention to those, the issues got worse and worse. But as we leaned into this principle of understanding that we're different and how are we different and trying to appreciate the perspective and difference of the other, we've seen that actually bring life to our relationship and minimize the challenge and the conflict. Now, not only are there differences, but then there is a handful of myths in the world that makes the context of relationship all the more challenging. And I just want to identify them. And over the next few weeks, we're going to kind of explode them away and reveal the truth behind them. But in your message notes, uh, blank number one, right there on the left-hand side of your message notes, one of the relationship myths that exist is, is that everything's going to get better in time. So not only do we have differences with each other, but some people come to a relationship and say, well, if we have a problem, all that has to happen is time has to pass. And as time passes, it will get better. The truth is, that's not true. Time actually doesn't heal most any wound. If you have a wound, medically speaking, and it's not cleaned, and it's not dealt with, it's not treated, especially a deep one, time ain't going to make it better. In fact, time's going to make it worse. But you treat a wound, you dress a wound, you medicate a wound, you clean a wound, especially deep ones, then all that work and time can be an asset. But time doesn't heal much of anything. Time doesn't heal your relationship. The passage of time, if you just look at it statistically, seems to have a detrimental impact on relationships. Here's a stat. If you're dating for more than two years, the likelihood that you'll ever get married after the two-year mark About 24% of people who date longer than two years get married. 
It's something magical statistically about the two-year mark. If you make it to two years and you're not married, you probably won't get married. Because at two-year mark, guess what's gone? All the facade and all the pretense of I can manage what you think about me. That's gone. And now we are faced with the differences. Over time, in Christian households, 51% of marriages will end in divorce. That's sad. Now, we can play with those stats a bit. That 51 number accounts for people who are divorced and married again, and almost all, many, 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 second marriages also end in divorce, often because people rush into it, they're lonely, they're satisfying. There's a lot of reasons why that number is so high. But even if you take out the multiple divorce situation, the number for people who are Christians to get divorced is very high. So statistically, it's a very bad time to be married. On the other hand, statistically, if you make it past 10 years, enough time to really see each other, if you make it past 10 years, statistically, about 70% of those marriages will survive. Those are just stats. What's going on in yours if you're single? What's in your head about the future? Do you do you have some of these myths? Let me give you another one. Uh, some people think that a relationship will make me happy. Now, the thing about this myth is it can. It can bring a certain amount of joy and satisfaction, but a relationship by itself doesn't complete you. You go in with that idea and you're headed for some interesting engagements. A relationship by itself will not fulfill you, although it can for a while make you forget quest that everybody's on for purpose and fulfillment. It can distract you enough, but a relationship, there's nobody on the face of this earth that can fill every void in your life. That's a romantic notion. It's easy to put on a movie screen for a couple of hours and make it feel like that. And then we go home with that impression and we look at our spouse and we realize you really don't complete me. In fact, as I engage you, I am very aware of some gaps, right? And most of them, by the way, are your fault, right? That's the way that works right? So it can, but it won't by itself, especially a relationship not tended to. Now, a vibrant, healthy, growing relationship is almost always a part of the equation of a happy life. That's true in your parenting. No parent's truly happy if there's major chaos in the kid's life. It's been said this way, that a parent is only as happy as their most miserable kid, (laughs) which sucks. Doesn't that suck? I mean, that just, that stinks, right? Let, let me give you another, another marriage myth or relationship myth, even if you're dating, all right? I can do what I usually do, but get better results. I can keep doing what I'm doing and get better results than I'm getting. You, you may have heard that the definition of stupidity is doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting different results, So again, those are stats. Those are interesting facts. How's it going at your house? How's it going in your head? How's your heart? How's your relationship? And what wells do you need to drink from in order to get the vital nutrients you need? Where in your life is somebody stepping on the air hose? Where are they doing that? Like in your marriage right now, Does your wife have on her high heels strategically placed somewhere about right here? Is that that how it feels sometimes? Well, the Bible, I believe, gives us some incredible perspective and insight to look at how to get the nutrients we need and understand the world in which we operate, not by the myths, and to actually have vitality even in the differences that exist. To, as it were, take off your blue glasses And as hard as it might feel and awkward as it might feel, put on the pink glasses for a while and understand. And out of that understanding, begin to adjust life. And out of that understanding, begin to appreciate the differences and maximize so that each person has the vital nutrients they need to thrive in the relationship. Now, when I think about uh, how this kind of shows up sometimes, I, I think about how Well, I think about some of the relationship challenges that Jill and I have had. 
before I go into like ours, I want to just acknowledge how it might normally go. Think for just a second, if you don't mind, about a, a lady who perhaps would say, you know, come through the holidays. We had Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Christmas. And maybe in a moment of frustration on an evening as they're getting ready to go out, they look in the mirror and they kind of say out loud, I've, you know, I've put on so many pounds over the holidays. Now, if she says that in front of her husband, every husband knows, and if you've been married for any length of time, you know that is called a no-win proposition. If you say nothing, silence is consent. If you agree, this is a problem. So what you have to do is you're confronted with, do I keep my wife happy or do I keep the Lord happy? And so we lie. That's what we do. No, no, you, you, you look good. You look, you look great. I, I love you. I love you. Or, or imagine a situation where a woman goes to her closet, we'll pick up men in a second, and, and says, I have nothing to wear. Now, when she says, I have nothing to wear, she's got her pink glasses on and she's viewing the world through her pink glasses. Every man knows when a woman says she has nothing to wear, they look into the closet and they realize objectively this is not true. What a woman might mean when she says, I have nothing to wear, but it doesn't translate to a man because he's got his blue glasses on. She might mean, I don't have anything new to wear. You know how I know this? Because if she were around her 10 best friends, her besties, and she were to say, I have nothing to wear, you know how they would respond? Oh, me neither. You know what we need to do? We're going to go to the mall. And they, you know why they do that? Because they have on their pink glasses, she has on her pink glasses, and they're just talking, and they understand one another. Now, if a man wearing his blue glasses goes into his closet and looks through the drawers and says, I have nothing to wear. He doesn't mean he doesn't. Have, what he means is, is I have nothing clean to wear. <laughs> He's already turned all of his underwear inside out and worn them a few extra days. He smells the socks to see if they can make it one more 24-hour period. Right? He doesn't mean I don't have anything. He means I have nothing clear. If he were to be around men who also wear blue glasses and say, you know, I got up this morning, I had nothing to wear. You know what his friends heard? What? She doesn't do your laundry either. Mine don't do mine. Yours don't do your. Because you listen through, you world through, you engage through the lenses. Let's talk about some of these differences. I'm going to give you a handful of principles for engaging life appreciating the differences and bringing vital nutrients to one another, all right? And I think the principles for flourishing relationships are found in the New Testament, and they often are supposed to take their fullest expression in marriage. It's not that marriage is the ultimate relationship. You can have close friends, and some of these dynamics even work in friendship relationships. They'll work among students. They certainly show up in the workplace. But in marriage, they're the most raw and I think it's often in marriage when that relationship can take fullest form and honestly, it can be understood because you're living in the laboratory of life where it's happening. So I think at the heart of a flourishing marriage is two big principles, a pink and a blue one. Unconditional love, that sounds very Christian, but also unconditional respect. And there right there is what I call a speed bump in a conversation. Unconditional love sounds very much like something you would expect a pastor to say. This is the kind of love God has for us, unconditional love. And he does. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more, and nothing you can do to make God love you less. That's just the way it is. We understand that principle. And that's part of the vital nutrients needed in a relationship. But it's not all. In fact, the Beatles were wrong. You don't just need, all you need is not just love. There's other stuff too. There's unconditional respect, which sounds so counterintuitive. In fact, we, we know that respect is earned. You want to be respected, act respectful. Right? But I think that in a relationship, especially a covenant relationship like marriage, those two things, unconditional love and unconditional respect, and we'll talk about boundaries in a second, both of those things 
are vital nutrients. And without them, if they're not present, you're going to have to just get comfortable with these kind of moments. If there's not unconditional love regularly expressed in a marriage, between a parent and a child even, and on occasion, to some degree, even in friendships, that relationship is headed for death. And if there's not some unconditional respect offered, even when it's not earned, the vital nutrients for a relationship to thrive over time is going to be limited, and it's going to have a detrimental impact. This would all just be words, except the principles that I'm talking about are found in the pages of your Bible. So in Ephesians chapter 5, some of those passage words that we're going to look at are in your message notes, but you can go to your Bible on your phone, on the screen or some others. In Ephesians chapter 5, a well we often go to here, I believe is the clearest teaching on a relational dynamic that most of us, even if we understand it, aren't fully expressing. So for some of you, this is review. But to know and not do is not to know. And for some of you, this will be new. And you'll have the benefit of the energy of discovering a new principle. So we're going to start about middle way through the chapter. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and he's just writing about practical Christian life. Very practical stuff. And he starts in chapter 5 just talking about the way Christians should treat each other. And it's almost as if, and I don't know that this is true, but I tend to kind of now read the passages that Paul wrote as if a pastor were writing to a church that he actually has in front of them. And so rather than like me thinking about some distant letter, it's like, here's a guy who knows this group and he's talking about how Christians should interact with each other. And almost mid-thought, it's like, oh, by the way, those of you that are married here in the church, you're Christians too. So I'm talking about how Christians should treat each other, but don't forget you married people you're Christians. And all the stuff I'm talking about applies in your marriage as well. And just to make sure you don't forget, here's some specific ways it might tease out in your marriage. So in Ephesians chapter 5, he, he starts with some stuff where he, a typical tool of ancient writers is to kind of give a negative in order to set you up to receive the positive. Right? We do this sometimes. Uh, in, in normal speech, we start with the worst case scenario. It primes a person to receive a best case scenario. This is what parents do with their kids. If you don't stop it, here's what's going to happen. You get your attention. Now, over time, overly used, it doesn't work, but you get their attention. And then you say, here's what I want you to do instead. Go ahead and take out that trash, right? That's what Paul does here. He says, do not get drunk on wine. Now, wine is not his point, although that's a good point. He says, because if you do that, it's going to lead to debauchery. Um, it's true. It's biblical right here in the Ben Hodges version of the Bible. It says, tequila makes your clothes come off. That's what it says right there. Yeah. If I were smart, I'd have put that to music. I, I don't know. I have a love-hate relationship with country music. I moved to the South when I was 11 years old, and we didn't really listen to much music in my house other than like church music. That's just kind of where we were. But we moved to the South. Everybody had a truck. They rolled the windows down, and they played country music. It's kind of fun, and you know, people crying in their beer, and their dog died, and somebody left them. And I've been thinking lately, they have these automatic vehicles now. It's just a matter of time till somebody writes a country song about an automated truck that drives itself and leaves its owner. Trust me, you heard it first right here. Prophetic gift in action. There it is, all right? So don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. The point here is Spirit-filled life doesn't look like that out of controlness. Spirit-filled life. Be filled with the Spirit. Then here's what he says. Spirit-filled life looks like. You speak to one another. Now, quickly, just as we go through this list, is this the tone in your home? Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Now, he's talking to church people, but he's going to remind us in a minute that married people in the church are church people. They're Christians, all right? Always giving thanks to God, the Father, for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus. And then he says the very next phrase, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the way this works is, is I submit to you, you submit to me. We could, I seek to understand and know and value you, and you seek to know and understand and value me. 
submit to one another. I'm going to put on pink glasses from time to time and try to see the world. I'm going to submit to your way of thinking. I'm going to understand. I'm going to engage you as if that's a valued, though different perspective. And you're going to under... This is the principle. This is the overarching term that everything else in this chapter falls under. And then Paul, the ever awesome pastor, looks at his people and he's going to say, no, ladies, pay attention. Here's how we're going to apply this in your life. And we're going to deal with that later in the message series. He says, hey, men, look up. Here's how we're going to apply this in your life. Because if you don't pay attention to these things, you're going to rob each other of vital nutrients. And you're going to start stepping on each other's air hoses. And you're going to start robbing the relationship of vitality. I want us to get to the bottom of the passage where I think there is the clearest and simplest explanation of how it is to bring vitality to the marriage, to the relationship. It takes its fullest expression in marriage, but in a lot of ways, it can be expressed in other places. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. I'm really talking about Christ and the church. I haven't forgotten. We're talking about the church and Christ, and, but it plays out in marriage. Don't forget that you're Christians in your marriage. Don't forget that. And then he says, however, each one of you must Love his wife. So men, you've got to love your wives as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. Now, do women need respect? Yes. But when the Egrets got together and began to understand this, they did surveys of hundreds, thousands of people. And they asked men and women who had been together for seven years or more, out of all these words and values, which do you put at the top? And consistently they discovered that men tended to say their greatest desire in their healthy relationship or the greatest change they'd like to see in their unhealthy relationship were language around the concept of respect. I'm not sure she respects me. I'd like more respect in the home. And women, as a group, statistically, said, I don't always feel loved. And I, I wish he loved me more. Now, women need respect and men need love. And in fact, they're really the same thing, two different sides of a coin. How do you experience being valued by the other person? Women tended to rally around love words. Men tend to rally around respect words, right? So what they discovered was is that if these things aren't happening, what we're doing is, is we're robbing each other of vital nutrients. That's what's happening. And what happens when that happens a lot is something they call the crazy cycle. The crazy cycle. Now, unconditional love is, is, I will love you in spite of what you say, do, or how you hurt me. I'm going to do my best to love you. And unconditional respect is, is, I'll respect you in spite of what you do, what you say, or how you hurt me. I'm going to bring love to the table. I'm going to bring respect. This is not complicated to understand. And when that doesn't happen, the chart, the crazy cycle kicks in. When the man doesn't bring love, so without love, starting at the 12 o'clock position, she reacts without respect. When she doesn't feel loved, she reacts without respect. And of course, when she doesn't bring respect, he reacts without love. This has showed up in mine and Jill's marriage and our driving. I'm a really good driver. I'm better than my wife. And I regularly have had conversations with her about that. Those have not gone well. Sometimes I initiate them. Really? Wow. You're just going to sit here, the light's been green for half a second. Come on. Let's go. And she'll regularly start the conversation. I feel, how fast are we going now? She knows how fast we're going because she's already looked over and seen the thing. But when she says to me and implies I'm not I hear you're not a good driver. Now, not so much now, but on occasion now. And it's not even that I consciously think it. It's just my blue. She's questioning my abilities. And I engage her as one who would question my abilities. Not one who is concerned about safety as she sits there holding herself, making sure her seatbelt is tight and looking around to make sure the kids are in car seats, which is really bad because they're in their teenage years. Um, <laughs> I engage her as one who's questioning me and my ability. 
right? This showed up in house cleaning in our situation. My mom's love language was bleach. And she would, she would clean the house. Our house was spotless. Four kids, spotless house. I don't know how she did it. Well, that got in. Like all my siblings, when we get a little stressed, you know what we do? We clean. Now, I'm not going to come clean your house. But if you take me off on a Sunday, I'm going to go home and clean my house. And I, I'm telling you, I'm a good cleaner. And I like things clean and neat and in place. It's the way I was raised. And my wife is a very clean person as well. There's nothing, you know, nasty or germy about her, but um, she's pretty awesome. But it's not, it's not quite up to snuff sometimes. <laughs> Just a little bit. Just the way I was raised. And so I get a little frustrated or whatever. I come in, I start cleaning. And you know what Jill, who's wearing pink glasses, will experience sometimes? I'm not adequate. No. She doesn't think it directly. There's a lot of filters going through before it begins to drip into the pot. I'm not adequate, but that's exactly where that goes. And one of the worst mistakes I ever made was one time I went to her and I realized that a full-time job raising kids, I have a full-time job. The house is a little disoriented. I went to my wife once and I said, hey, I've got an idea. Because I'm a fixer, I've got an idea. And I got on my blue glasses. She's got on her pink glasses. And I said, here's what we'll do. We'll hire a house cleaner. And you know what my wife heard? I can't clean house good enough to satisfy him. Now, we didn't know that's what she heard at first, but that's how she began to react. Blue, green, which is right, which is wrong. Well, a few years ago, I knew which was right and wrong. I'm right. We needed to fix the problem, and this is the solution, and we'll just hire it. But I'm not right, and she's not wrong. We're different. We've had to learn that if we're not careful, we'll get in a cycle where she'll experience, even if I don't mean it, just because we're different, a lack of love and affirmation. And she begins to wonder if I value her if she can't perform. And I begin to wonder if she values me if I don't live up to all of her expectations. And anything that speaks towards respect, I'm very attuned to, whether I want to be or not, most men in the room are. And anything that speaks to love and do you love me in spite of my imperfections resonates often with a lot of women. Like, will he still love me if? Understanding those differences allows us to submit to one another's natural tendencies and goals and hopes for life and then bring vitality to one another. And if not, we start the crazy train. And you can actually get off the crazy train. We're not going to spend a lot of time here, but let me give you the last few things. To stop the crazy cycle, here it is. That's the hard point. Hardest thing I'm going to say today. The most mature one must make the first move. So which is the most mature one in your relationship? Go ahead and have that conversation on the way home. See how that goes. When the crazy train starts, who's the most mature one? That person has to stop it. That person has to say, we're in the middle of the cycle but I'm willing to step up and attempt to start doing the right thing and provide the vital nutrients my spouse needs in order to thrive in this moment. And that's really hard to do. It sounds something like this. Okay, I think I'm on the crazy cycle right now and I need to stop. And you're not my enemy, we're in this together. And I'm committed to you and I love you. And you do have some good ideas and I really want to hear them and I want to understand you. And I've been listening, or I haven't been listening well, because as you've been talking, I've been thinking about what I would say to show that you were wrong. I'm going to make my own point. But I'm going to listen now, and I'm not going to interrupt you. And would you tell me your point again? Because I'd really like to understand it. Now, the most mature one has to act like that. Can I tell you the truth about my marriage? We're four-year-olds. We're four years old sometimes. And you add stresses from other... So the question then becomes, who's the most mature one? So Ephesians 4.32, the chapter before this when Paul says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So the next statement for us to consider is, is who is the most mature one in the relationship? Ephesians chapter 4 says to us that we should do for your spouse what God has done for you. That he loved you before you brought anything worth loving to him. And he values you even before you started acting valuable. Now for the next four weeks, we're going to explore tangible principles. But for today, 
Who's the most mature one in the relationship? Because the burden's on you to stop the crazy train and to start trying to see the other person's perspective and to value the other perspective, to speak the other perspective, to learn and listen. And it's very hard. Or stay on the crazy train and then react out of your frustration or hurt and watch that cycle pick up speed. For some of you, you've been on it for 10 years. And it's time for somebody to say, I'm going to act towards you the way God acted towards me. He brought unconditional engagement. Now, I'm going to make sure that you, at the end of this, even if we disagree, you're valued, you're heard, that your perspective is valued by me. And I'm going to put that into my words and actions. When you do that, it's like, it's like hitting the emergency button on a speeding train. The brakes kick on and it begins to slow down. It's it much more enjoyable in the ride. And you could do that this week. There'll be an opportunity this week, and you could do it. Unconditional love, unconditional respect. Why don't you grab out your connect cards? Let's take a few steps together. If you're our guest, you may not know this, but every week we want to give people a chance to accept Christ as their savior, to have their lives changed by him. And I shared some principles that can work, but they work best in that context of a relationship with Christ. Because every man and woman who's in a relationship with Christ has experienced from God the very thing I'm asking you to bring into your marriage, into your relationships. But if you don't have a relationship with him, you can take that pen we gave you and check next step A right now. Put the card in the offering bucket at the end of the service. But in effect, you're saying by faith, God, I can't save myself. I... I want to trust you to save me. I want to trust you to save me. And I'll trust the work you did on the cross and in your resurrection to secure my relationship with my heavenly father. If you want to do that, pray with me in a minute about that. Put the card in the offering bucket. We'll communicate with you. All right? Or maybe next step B today, I'm choosing to be baptized. You heard Pastor Will in the video explain we have a baptism coming up on February 11th. It's going to be a great day. If you have questions, just check the box. Or Next step C is the one Melissa and I were telling you about, the number of the small group. If you don't know, that's okay. If you do, go ahead and write it down. If you don't, go home today, jump online. You can finish it up, take the catalog with you. Or you can come back next Sunday and write it down. That's how you get in, all right? The next step D says, I'm going to invest in my marriage through you, me, and us. Please send me the links to sign up for the date night, which is February 2nd and or... The marriage conference, which is February 3rd. So we'll send you the link. You can investigate it. And then you just click and do the thing and you're in, all right? So this gets the information into your inbox and it closes the gap between you thinking you want to and you're going ahead and doing the thing, all right? And the next step, E says, hey, I'm going to take a step towards financial freedom by going through FPU. That's the thing Andrew and I were talking about earlier. And please send me the link so I can sign up. And we'll send you a link so you can sign up directly on the Dave Ramsey site. And then we get that information and, and you're in, all right? Why don't you put your Connect card aside? And for those folks who call this church home, this is when we get to give back to the work that God's doing here. We basically have this attitude. God, you blessed me with more than I need to survive. And so I'm gonna give back to you a portion of what you blessed me with. Now, I don't know if you got to hear the subtle tones of what we were talking about today but if you're a giver in this church, you should be feeling pretty awesome right now because you have helped create an environment where leaders rise up. They start serving by straightening chairs. They end up directing a room, but then they step into leadership and they say, we wanna help people get free. That happened because you helped create an environment where people are growing. Your financial gifts, your dollars and pennies changed into an environment where people grow and create life change for other people. That's the power of money. I want to thank you for giving part of your money to the ministry of this church. You can give in a check or cash today. You can put it in an envelope. You can give to our Christmas offering. I'm going to give you a nice update about that next week. You can give to the regular ministry around here that pays for everything that you see. But if you are already giving, thank you. It's making a difference. Let's pray about our next steps in our offering right now. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you for all that you're doing in the life of this church. I want to thank you for Andrew and his journey. I want to thank you for those testimonies of life change that we heard. 
I want to thank you, Lord, for all that's happening with Melissa and her leadership, the growth groups that are going to uh, spring out of this next season of our church's life as people engage one another. Lord, I lift up the men and women in this room who are right now saying, Jesus, save me. Wash away my sins. I have nothing to bring you. I trust only in the cross and the resurrection to secure my relationship with Jesus. I thank you for unconditionally loving me and unconditionally valuing me. God, would you take our gifts today, our next steps, our hearts, and even our dollars and pennies, and would you radically transform them for your purposes? Would you cause them to, a, to accomplish your agenda in our lives and in this world? We're grateful, Lord, for what you're doing. We anticipate more. You're a really good God. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, God's strong and holy son. Amen and amen.